have a <clears throat> I have a pop quiz for you. The Bible is about Jesus. <laughs> Even in Micah chapter seven, where we'll be, if you want to turn there, it's about Jesus. It's that conviction of mine that resurfaced on Friday morning and led me to rewriting my sermon. I once preached a sermon and made the point that if we believe that the Bible is about Jesus, it should change the way we read our Bible. I'm often torn at times with really, for me, two ways to read the Bible, and I think sometimes, I'll just talk about me, I read the Bible primarily seeking answers for problems. Give you a practical example of this. I have this YouVersion Bible app on my phone, which has tons of free Bible reading plans and devotions and themed devotions and access to translations of the Bible, all free. Well, with my blood pressure being high and I worrying about that, I began to wonder if some of the things I think I feel are maybe just tricks from my brain, because the doctor told me I'm fine. I literally am reading through a seven-day reading plan called Fighting for Mental and Emotional Health on my YouVersion Bible plan. Now, the scripture speaks to me in that plan, and the devotions really actually aren't superficial. They're actually very Christ-centered and gospel-centered. I'm amazed by that. But the fact that we have devotions themed for everything from the attributes of God to maybe the devotional plan for coffee lovers or, you know, out there stuff, reveals in fact, or, or maybe even in fact betrays sometimes how we read the Bible. Maybe as a hobby, maybe as a self-help guide, maybe as we would a buffet table. I want to eat potatoes today, and so, you know, take my potato devotion plan. But if we believe, and as I've laid out several times before, that the Bible is about Jesus, then maybe we should read it for Jesus' sake, and not our sake. I'm going to touch on this topic a little bit on the Sunday after Easter, but after Jesus rose again, he told the people on the road to Emmaus, he told the disciples in the upper room that the law and the prophets and all the writings were fulfilled in him, and they revealed him. And one of those prophets is Micah. And if that's the case, if we take as doctrinal truth that the Bible is about Jesus, do we also take as doctrinal truth when Jesus says, Come to me, emphasis on me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do we take as doctrinal truth when Jesus, or when James says, resist the devil and draw close to God, emphasis on God, and he will draw close to you? Do we take as doctrinal truth when Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, emphasis on the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Or how about when the author of Hebrews says, Therefore he is always able to save those who come to God through him, emphasis on him, since he always lives to intercede for them. And my point being is that I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I'm guilty to coming to the scriptures, like I was last week wrestling with this sermon, and missing Jesus. I'm sometimes guilty of saying, what's this? scripture about? Is it about my health condition? About my emotional problems? Is it about my relationship issues? And it could be secondarily and directly, but it's first, foremost, always, and utmost about Jesus. 
And furthermore, we just read scriptures about resisting the devil, letting go of worries, and being saved and interceded for by Jesus, drawing close to Jesus for Jesus' sake, and not drawing close to the scriptures for our sake. Maybe, maybe that doesn't make sense to you. <laughs> makes sense to me. I think it's a worthy point to mention. So with that in mind, let's open up Micah 7 and read about Jesus. I invite you to stand if you're able to, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 7 of Micah 7. You're going to read this and say, I don't see Jesus. <laughs> Micah writes, How sad for me, for I am like one who, when the summer fruit has been gathered after the gleaning of the grape harvest, finds no grape cluster to eat, no early fig, which I crave. Godly people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. Okay, let's go home. <laughs> Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man com communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. The day of your watchman, the day of your punishment is coming. At this time, their panic is here. Do not rely on a friend. Don't trust in a close companion. Seal your mouth from the woman who lies in your arms. Surely a son considers his father a fool. A daughter opposes her mother, and a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Heavenly Father, we... Um, I'm taken back to that road to Emmaus, or back to that upper room, and I want, I want to hear that, that lesson you gave, where you did open up the scriptures and revealed yourself. Father, we're told in the scriptures to come to you, for many of the reasons we just come to the scriptures for our sakes, but we're told to come to you. Help us to come to you in these moments. May your voice be the one speaking. May you give us all ears to hear. Would you soften hardened hearts against you? Would you help us to grow in faithfulness and love and fidelity to you? And would you help us to share the love and joy that you give us to others? Father, we thank you and we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May you see it. Jesus is approached one day by a well-meaning guy. I would probably be this guy. I hope I preach grace, mercy, and the gospel, because for a guy who hopefully articulates it well, I still wrestle with works. I still wrestle with believing that God's keeping tally, he's keeping score, and while I can sing blessed assurance with conviction, I still wrestle at times. So this guy comes to Jesus, Mark tells us that he, he ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm still there sometimes. And the reason I'm still there is because I have this crazy belief that eternal life starts now, not after I die. And what I mean by that is whether or not I thought I did, I did not sign up for fire insurance when I accepted Jesus. I didn't sign up to just be saved from the flames of hell. I signed up to be saved from a lot of things, and most significantly, myself. 
I can do a lot of sin without the devil's help. I can get into a lot of bad situations here and now, mentally or physically. And so perhaps for some Christians who might find themselves today in, these, in this man's shoes, the question is just as important. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe that means for you or me, where is the joy of the Lord at? Where is the, the victory over sin? Where is the sweet fellowship of the communion of saints? Where is the, the spirit living in me, the hope of glory? What must I do, God, to get that? Jesus answers this man a rather upside down way. A way that blows our minds on who Jesus is. Jesus says, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one. God. Now I can hijack this sermon from Micah and preach a sermon in Mark. If we dive too deep into that answer, it's a very bizarre answer from Jesus. Who we trust Jesus to be God incarnate, and I have a sermon on this whenever I preach to Mark, if you're interested and need that explained. But what I want you to see is here Jesus' view of humanity. It's a rather negative um View A rather sad view that skeptics, and even some who would proclaim to be Christians, get offended at. Jesus, happy, compassionate, peace-loving, leper-healing Jesus. No one is good. That's the judgment. What's that mean in the Greek? It means no one is good. <laughs> no one. It's the same judgment Micah has at the beginning of his word here in Micah 7. How sad for me, for I am like one who, when the summer fruit has been gathered after the gleaning of the grape harvest, finds no grape cluster to eat, no early fig which I crave. Godly people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. Micah has preached his heart out. To use his language in Micah 1.8, He's lamented and wailed. He's tried to get their attention by walking barefoot and naked. He says he's howled like the jackals. He's mourned like ostriches. Micah 3.8 says he was filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage to proclaim Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. He's preached his heart out. He's called out sin. He's come to a bunch of people and did spiritual diagnosis. Says, this is wrong, you're, you say you're a child of God, here's what you do, that's unjust, that doesn't reflect God. And as Micah peers out over the people, as he's put in his time, his energy, his effort, his preaching, his worrying, his hard words, and his bold preaching, he's got nothing in return. And he has the same view as Jesus, there is just no one good. Micah hasn't been real easy on the years, amen, <laughs> and I've been preaching this since January, and you're so happy to know that next week the series is finished, it can't come soon enough at times, but even so, a lot of you are troopers, you've expressed appreciation, enjoyment, agreement, conviction at these messages. Micah had a ministry. He tells us in the first verse of the book, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, which... By these kings, his ministry could have been a maximum time of 53 years, at minimum around 20 years. So unless Micah is a very slow speaker, 
I don't think the material of this book in the Bible was all he may have spoken on. I don't know, maybe. But I do believe it is likely reflective of the general themes of what he preached and prophesied. So generally speaking, Micah feels like his work is producing no results. He describes his feeling as what the poor might do after farmers would harvest their fields. We went through the book of Ruth some time ago. We remember from that story that Ruth would go into the fields behind uh, Boaz's field to go and glean. And when she came upon Boaz's field, Boaz was this generous farm boss who told his farmhands, hey, leave some of the good stuff. We have Ruth to take care of. Spiritually speaking, Micah is saying nobody left the good stuff after the harvest. The harvest has come, the judgment's been made, and no one is here who is godly. Micah is talking about Jerusalem. That's the heart of God's people. The people who should be the holy people because they're the only people at that time on the face of the planet Earth that are God's true people, and they stink. <laughs> There's no one good. It's Passion Week. We're talking about Passion Week in the Bible. It's not Passion Week. It's Monday morning of Passion Week. Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to the praises of many. And the morning after, he's going to Jerusalem, and along the way, he sees a fig tree. And he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And after this, he went to the temple. In essence, he cursed it. He says, This is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jerusalem, in Micah's time, is a den of thieves. Micah continues, All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. I have a, uh, a love-hate relationship with Christian news outlets. We've been uh, gifted several years by two of you, of a wonderful magazine, which I will continue to read, called World Magazine, which is world events through the lens of a Christian worldview. Also, recently I started listening to a 25-minute podcast, basically a, a digital radio show, um, and it's called The Briefing. It's hosted by a well-known author, theologian, and church leader, and it too has current events through the eyes of a biblical Christian worldview. And because it is... A lot of this is what I hear. Sin is happening. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> Lots of sinners doing sin. <laughs> Coupled with reminders of God's redemption, God's grace, and the Christian's duty of who to be and how to be redemptive. Micah is living in this time, and he's living in the middle of it. He's not hearing about it in the magazines and radio shows, but it's right out his front door. Does he have a faith community that he can retreat into from the world, and the point is, is the faith community is the world, is what Micah is saying. God's chosen people, Micah says it's as if they've all become hitmen and thieves, that's their jobs. Both hands are good, oh great, they have skills, they have jobs at accomplishing evil. 
right? That's their specialty. That's their modus operandi. They wait in ambush to shed blood. They, they are looking for opportunities to get their livelihood off of the pain of others. Why work for money, honestly, when all it takes is ripping off other people and sharing the spoils? That's unjust. I'm going to the authorities. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. The authorities are bought off. No help there. Micah, excuse me, some of them are instigating the entire evil thing. They're making conspiracies on, on how to keep themselves rich and loaded, and others need to be in on it because crimes of this magnitude necessitate companions. Well, Micah, certainly it's not that bad. Certainly there are a few. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. Picking up on the motif of harvesting fields, Micah is saying, I'm not finding any good fruit. <laughs> if I had to choose the best or the most upright, it's briars and thorns. In other words, there are no good ones. We understand that hyperbole. And all that means is that Jerusalem is ripe for another harvest when it's only evil people in the land and running the land. Micah tells us, the day of your watchmen... The day of your punishment is coming. At this time, their panic is here. Some wonder if Micah is saying that the day of your watchmen, Ezekiel calls prophets watchmen, he's called a watchman. So some wonder if, if Micah is talking about the day that the prophets have warned about is coming. Or likewise, if, if Micah is talking about literal watchmen, the day that all watchmen worry about, that's when they get to yell and sound the alarm, they're coming, that day is here. Well, both is true. And furthermore, though the name of God is not used, it's likely that Micah is talking about the day of the Lord, a day of reckoning, a day that God has allowed the enemies of God's people to come and do what they want to do to God's people, because God's people have demoralized into what Micah is describing here, people bent on doing evil, only doing evil. A sermon or so back, I made mention that out of my tiny bit of time studying this book, comparatively speaking with scholars, people who got PhDs doing research on this book. I come to believe that Micah wrote or said all of this just at one point in time. It was all delivered at one point in time. And I think that because I believe he always comes back to a siege that has taken place on Jerusalem. If you've been here for any number of our Micah sermons, I've touched on this, so I'll try to be brief. But we know that Assyria has wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel and furthermore, they went through a horrific campaign in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah, conquering upwards of 40-plus cities, into which they finally came to the very gates of Jerusalem and sieged it. You can read this for yourself in 2 Kings, um, 2 Chronicles, or Isaiah. The leader of the Assyrian army is a king named Sennacherib, and the king of Israel is a king named Hezekiah. And I believe it's in the middle of this siege, or right prior to it, that Micah is prophesying the words of this book. The enemy is literally at the gates. And Micah is saying to his listeners, you have no one to blame but yourselves. Sure, God has control over the whole ordeal, but he has permitted Assyria to be at your gates because of your evil. The reasons I have love and hate relationships with uh, Christian magazines, because i got to be honest, I have a tendency to 
ignore, dismiss, disregard, or brush off the sort of evil that Micah is talking about. There's a part of me that is, of course, entirely disturbed and enraged at the injustice of our own day of infanticide being proposed in legislation, and there's another part of me that wants to shrug and say, well, they're sinners, I'm not surprised, I should expect it, <laughs> as if it's not my problem. That's, I try to get off Facebook because I'm tired of seeing people get all up in arms about every news article. It's not that I'm not enraged by news, I am too, I just don't want to be, so I ignore it. Or if I uh, happen to read or hear something, sure, I'm angered by it, but I just try to quickly move on with life. And I think something I take from Micah here is that when you or I have the ability to be the seeds of the gospel, the seeds of righteousness, or whenever you and I see injustice take place, we, by God's spirit and power, need to do justly, as Micah has said. Because you or I can't turn a blind eye to injustice and morality, even if we expect it. Because it eventually comes home. Eventually, all of the evil and the immorality that's out there, away from Woodland, outside of Idaho County, those guys, eventually it's going to come here. That's the progression Micah says next. He was talking about powerful men, those guys. But look at what he says next. He says, do not rely on a friend. Don't trust in a close companion. Seal your mouth from the woman who lies in your arms. Surely a son considers his father a fool. A daughter opposes her mother, and a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. People who practice evil or who ignore evil culture are still susceptible to evil culture. Jesus didn't come to earth to ignore prostitutes, ignore greedy taxmen, ignore all the evils and injustices in the world. He engaged them and he redeemed them. Micah says, it's come home. It's not just an evil dystopian government problem, right? Those guys, those evil guys, but it's in my home. You can't trust anyone, it's so bad, says Micah. How so? Well, if Assyria was at the gate and all that was needed was for the king of Israel, Hezekiah, the king of Judah and Jerusalem, if all that was needed was for he to surrender Jerusalem, certainly there were Jerusalemites who were saying, democracy sounds good right now. The, the, the king's taking his time. He needs to surrender. And so betrayal and treason became the norm and families were split. Do we follow Hezekiah, who's saying the prophets Isaiah and Micah are telling him to stay the course? Others are buying into the propaganda that Assyria was broadcasting through the messengers. You know, Assyria's wiped out every other country, God, and city. Jerusalem's not going to be any different. And so when Assyria was at the gate, suddenly... The outside, those guys' problem, the blatant flaunt of immorality, the ripping off, the corrupt leaders, was no longer a those guys' problem. Because of the self-indulgence of Israel's leaders, weak defenses made for a susceptible city, and the enemies were at the gates, and suddenly everyone's interested. Suddenly everyone's engaged, and suddenly... Everyone has a side to choose. Friends, Jesus makes everyone have a side to choose. Not only does evil and corruption cause division, but so does loyalty to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 
32 through 39, and he takes this right out of Micah. He says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And then he quotes Micah here. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. When people start sinning, when corruption starts happening, when infanticide gets thrown around in the public square connected with the word legalized and nobody's balking or talking, when the murder of innocent babies already happened, period, when God's laws are thrown out and man's laws are implanted, when God is mocked, you can be sure of this, no injustice will go unpunished. No society will exist for too long without the judgment of God. Whether it be active, as in, wow, here comes fire out of the sky, or passive, um, God's just giving over the society to whoever wants to take them. And there are sides. There are sides. I feel like we live in a society where unity and community have become idols. God loves community. God loves unity. He tells us to love him and love others, but many people want to love, or, or what they call love, I don't think it is love, but many people say, let's love others at the expense of loving God. You can't have that. And it's not loving to urge others to be content with their sin or to celebrate their sin. And when people are saying, sacrifice your convictions for the sake of community, Jesus says, how about we not do that? <laughs> How about everyone stay loyal to the Creator who made all this to begin with? And how about we pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done? How about that? Whenever I start to say things like, even Jesus brings division, and then tell you, I didn't come up with it, it came from the Bible, people, and we quote the passage about Jesus bringing a sword, families being torn apart because some are loyal to Jesus while others sacrifice what Jesus says, to the idol of, of unity or whatever idol they want to sacrifice it to. Some people might be miffed and say, but that's not nice. <laughs> we want a happy, flowery community where everyone coexists and religion is a private matter and that's so offensive. And the entire point of Jesus coming to earth and saying, no one is good. And the entire point of, of Micah allegorizing his godless contemporary community as a, a rough patch of thorns and briars is for Jesus, for the Creator, to then say what is good. And what does work. Because God really wants humanity to flourish. And he brings a greater community. He brings a better community. One that doesn't celebrate or be content with people sinning. But one where redemption and restoration and a rebirth can take place. But because some people want their sin and not God. It separates families. When humanity puts God out of the picture. It's to their own detriment. With God out of the picture, no matter what for, power will eventually corrupt. Big-headed men who say, God says this, but I say that, leads to the kind of dismal picture that Micah has. 
an unjust society who uses both hands all of their power to do all of the evil that they can think of. And it's a sad picture, which is why we're not going home yet. Some of us feel the weight of that today. We look around and we say, well, it's, it's almost just as, as hopeless, and I don't want those guys to become us, and I don't want all the evil out there to become between me and my own family, and so what do I do? What does Micah, what does Micah do? Micah says, but I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. You know, we were, we were talking about that guy who came to Jesus, good teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave that sad state of affairs. Why do you call me good? No one is good. But then he says, but one, God. Jesus would go on to explain it in different words, nevertheless in essence, that if anything hinders us from resting our affections on God, let us get rid of those things. For the man that Jesus is talking to in Mark 10, because he had kept a bunch of commandments, he thought he was good enough for God. But the point that Jesus is making is apparently you think God's not good enough for you. You have your possessions that you need to sell because as long as those possessions are in your possession, apparently it's going to be you, possessions, and then God. And God is saying, for I to do a work in you that you're asking for, it just needs to be you and God. So for Micah, he's disillusioned of any concept of, of any goodness being birthed out of the depravity around him. I heard this from a pastor, I believe, last week. People who say, well, most people, when you get down to it, are really good people. And the pastor replies, do you think our world is broken? Yes. Why? The people. <laughs> so are all these good people building a broken world? It could be because the people are broken. And so you... And I look around, and like Micah, I pray that our heart would be like Micah as he looks around for godly people, and he says in verse 1 that those are the things that I crave, godly people, Micah 7.1. And may we, like Jesus, when we find no godly people, rest not our hopes on the broken people, but the good God, because we know God. Micah uses a possessive noun in his statements. He says, he is the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. Do you believe that today? You know what? I believe Jesus when he made the blanket statement, no one is good. I believe that Jesus believed that wholeheartedly, and he loves everyone. I believe Jesus when he says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. And I believe that Jesus, at his word, when he says about that same world who hates Jesus and hates his followers, God so loved that world. It hit me as I was thinking about it this week. Have you ever met those parents whose sons or daughters can do no harm? Like there goes the son again in the middle of an accident and the parent comes along. My poor son, the victim of someone else's misdeeds again. And the parents drive you crazy because this is like the umpteenth time they've come to a situation, accident, a problem of their own child's doing. But are quicker to believe that the child is the victim, coincidentally, of many misfortunes, rather than accept the fact that there's a common denominator in all of these misfortunes. And it's their child who can do no evil. God is a God who isn't blind where that's concerned. 
He knows the common denominator, and all the sin in the world are the people who are sinning. Even so, he still loves us. Even so, he still pursues us. He's not turning a blind eye. Rather, he comes in the person and the work of Jesus. And like Micah, he makes the blanket statement, they're all evil. And like Micah, he goes searching for good people at the heart of God's people, the temple. And he finds that they're nothing but a den of thieves, and so he curses the fig tree. And like Micah, he looks to the God of his salvation, but Jesus then becomes salvation. Because in looking to the Lord, the Lord directed him to take the place of all these people. So that Micah no longer has to wait. So that resoundingly from Calvary to the ends of the earth, everyone knows that God does hear us. Everyone knows that a Savior exists and a Redeemer redeems. Kevin, you're talking about Micah 2,700 years ago. You're talking about Jesus 2,000 years ago. And the Bible screams back at us. Again, from that verse in Hebrews, Therefore he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. This means that God is salvation here. This means that whether it's lousy, corrupt leaders in the time of Micah, thieves making the temple a den of thievery in Jesus' time, or a nation that thinks killing babies is a legal matter left up to the parents, or division in the family, or whatever the situation may be, God is always able to save those who come to God through Jesus, since Jesus always lives to intercede for them. You believe that today? Do you say with Micah, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me? Let's pray. Father, I was uh, thinking about feeling like I'm in a juggle act. Sometimes I'm like Micah where I see all this injustice taking place and, and we wonder, is there anything more I can be doing? I want to help. I want to, this isn't right. So like Micah, sometimes you want to get out and preach your heart out. Sometimes you tell us to pray. And sometimes we can be like, we can think that prayer is not enough. And other times, but for people like Micah, prayer is more than enough. Father, I just pray that you would be using our hearts and our minds to direct people to the love of Jesus. That as we see all the injustice happening, that we wouldn't doubt who you are, that as we sang today, we would turn our eyes upon Jesus. Father, that we would consider, we would continue to do justly in our own spheres of influence, that we would also respond accordingly when you tell us to do something more, whether that be writing letters to politicians, whether that means helping out at an organization that is fighting against injustices we see. But Father, we just want to be obedient to what you tell us to do. And help us to realize that Prayer moves mountains. That whenever we feel so helpless and hopeless, well, I guess I'll pray. That's not making any concessions. That is coming before the throne of God who controls the world. And so we pray that you would help us to see the power in everything we do and everything you ask us to do. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray that we would continue to look to you and to wait on you and your salvation, knowing that you hear us. 
We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.